Right. Oh my god, you should work with professionals, mate. I tell you. <laughs> oh, idiots like me. Right, let's start that again. Welcome to another episode of Rockstar CMO FM, where the M is for marketing and the F, well, you decide. As you might be asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? This is episode 12, recorded on Friday the 29th of May. And I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, where once a month we drop a set list of marketing street knowledge onto the web and into your inbox. Thank you for listening. Whatever state of lockdown or social distancing you find yourself in, thank you for choosing us to keep you company. And I hope you are safe and well. This week, I have two fantastic guests. First, I chat to Andy Diderosi, the shiny new head of marketing for Basecamp. Then I join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a cocktail. And one thought we should take away from this week. But first, I'll dip into a recent issue of rockstarcmo.com and highlight something that I'd like you to take a look at. And this is, of course, where you'll find the show notes. All the links we refer to in the show are rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. Let's get started, shall we? What I'd like you to check out on Rockstar CMO this week isn't a thing. It's a person, our straight-talking resident Rockstar CMO, Ted Rubin. Ted has been with the publication since the beginning and has consistently shared with us his erudite perspective. His latest article neatly sums up a lot of conversations many of us have been having recently, that this pandemic is an opportunity for us all to reset and to think about how our organisations work. Ted shares a number of examples, particularly in retail, where organisations can use this crisis to get back to basics with the customer relationship. Some really good points here. You can find Ted's article at rockstarcmo.com forward slash Ted Rubin or go to our homepage and click on the latest issue to read that article. Right, on to our interview. Despite the company being around for 20 years, Andy Diderosi is the first head of marketing at Basecamp. You're probably aware of their product. I've used it at previous agencies, and it's very appropriate for right now as it enables project teams to collaborate remotely. The company has a reputation being a remote organization from the start, and back in 2013, their founders wrote a book about it called Remote, Office Not Required. Andy also has an ethical approach to marketing that excludes using big tech PPC or paid social in his marketing mix. And we chat about how that's working for him. Can you imagine if we all did that? I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Andy. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Tell us a bit about yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Andy Diderosi. I'm the head of marketing for Basecamp, and uh, I'm 33 years old, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, in the U.S. Splendid. You've only just started at Basecamp, so thanks for thanks for your time. I'm sure you're incredibly busy. Now, most of us, my, many of us, will be already familiar with Basecamp. I've certainly used it before at agencies I've worked at. But for people who aren't familiar with Basecamp, tell us a bit about it. Yeah, Basecamp is a project management and team communication software. Um, lives entirely online. Um, you know, it's a, a one of the first like software as a service, cloud-based project management softwares. Uh, it goes back to 2004, which is mm-hmm. when it was launched. And so we're on our third version now, so we're on Basecamp 3. Um, but, um, you know, Basecamp is sort of famous for bucking a lot of industry trends and um, just kind of doing things the way that we think they're 
that's done. So, you know, back in 2004, they started a company that was completely remote. Uh, yeah. And that was that was pretty wild. And now today that's um, sort of in vogue. Um, but, you know, they, um, you know, truly just follow what they think is best in business. The founders, Jason and David. And, um, you know, we're a small, remote, very focused team, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll come to that in a moment. But I think that's really interesting, both what the technology does and how you guys are structured in the present kind of pandemic time. So you must have been very naturally, you know, suited to where we find ourselves right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, our headquarters is in Chicago and there was uh, a few people working there, maybe like five, Mm -hmm. um, who all went remote as well. And it's a very natural switch for us because um, back in 2013, the founders wrote the book uh, Remote, Mm -hmm. which talks a lot about how to run a remote company. And you've seen companies like Yahoo and Facebook and that say, you know, they're never going to have remote work. And you've seen some slippage of that. And then all of a sudden, it's legally mandated. You have to be remote, right. and somehow it becomes possible. You know, out of, out of nowhere, it's it's possible that you don't need to stick people in a cube. Yeah, I, I actually uh, just witnessed on Twitter um, the CMO of a of a Martech company, and it's like the penny just dropped with him. He said, "Oh my God, the amount of talent that's available if you go remote." It's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, if, right. if, you know, if you've got a remote company, the pool of talent that you have is is limitless, isn't it? Well, and think about all the other stuff, you know, let's say you do hire someone and they decide to move to your mm-hmm. um, major city, you've got uh, relocation, you've got the, the you know, maybe buying and selling their house. Uh, I've seen insane relocation packages for people yeah. just to get them to be face to face. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the upside is, is worth it there. And um, so, so Basecamp draws from a global pool. I mean, we've got yeah. people all across the globe and it, it really shows, you know, our, our talent is super high. Um, and I, I feel from my own personal experience that the workplace satisfaction is super high too. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of design our own days, uh, around what we think best needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we're hearing and the benefits that people haven't seen before in the way that they're working, but you, you need to keep quiet about that relocation thing. Cause I've ridden that wave a couple of times. Back again. So, yeah. Um, but, um, what, um, so um, we hear so much about the death of the CMO, right? And I was quite refreshed to find that Basecamp hadn't had a head of marketing before, but decided to hire you. Why Why now? What was the timing around that? Well, I mean, at Basecamp, we've got a lot of other, um, you know, competitors who at a glance look very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you look at the project management space online, um, if you, you know, only spent uh, half an hour researching, they look almost identical. Yeah. Um, but when you dig into what they actually do and how they work and how they're built and what their priority is uh, for what they're built for, um, you realize they're extremely different. And so Mm -hmm. I came on to help differentiate that message, just to like make it clear about what Basecamp stands for and what it doesn't stand for. Um, And then we've also got a new product coming. We've got a, Hey, an email service is coming in June and July. And um, that message needs to be put out there. You know, it's a Basecamp has never sold a, a B2C product before. Wow. And so, you know, marketing helps. Yeah, absolutely. So it's good to see you aboard. So congratulations. And um, before we chatted, I think this is this is going to be interesting. You you um you mentioned marketing without a playbook. Tell us a bit about that. Is that your approach that you're taking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you sit down and you try to make some crazy robust plan where you have all of these different spends identified and you know CPM and all this stuff like you're just going to, you're going to miss the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to, 
you, you can rationalize a lot of spend and it can look really good. You know, mm-hmm. you have it all all planned out in this agency and that agency and, and all these great things. But, you know, the truth is, is we're a, a, a small software company. We we don't need that sort of big structure. And it costs time and money and focus and confidence to build such a big plan that you then kind of married to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came, I came in during my interview process with the pitch that we don't want some giant plan. We want to, <laughs> um, you know, have a bunch of small experiments that we wage yeah. and see how those pan out, you know, and, and if those work, then great, let's step on the gas. But until um, we find what works for us, mm-hmm. which is very different from every company, you know, there's no sort of unified Bible out there of how to sell uh, software on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. No, we just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I think the cool kids are calling that agile marketing now, aren't they? Because everything's got to be called agile. But it just sounds like you're taking a really pragmatic approach. Yeah, everything's always got to end up in a box, right? For it <laughs> yeah. to be marketed, for it to be yeah. like like cleanly packaged in this thing, and then and then you can sell yourself as an expert on it. That's you know, a it's good really point. like a career, a career advancement thing where you can say, "I'm an expert in agile marketing." Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess I guess you'll be the marketing without a playbook expert when this when this all succeeds. <laughs> if, if that's up to other people to say, that's cool. But uh, I I will never have that on any document involving my name. <laughs> all right. And the other thing that I was reading about you guys is that you're taking an ethical approach to marketing around the way you work with big tech, particularly Google and Facebook. And then, and then you're not going to use them. Um, I think this is really interesting and, and probably a brave choice because, you know, it's the when we talk about playbooks, I mean, that's definitely the playbooks, particularly in B2B on LinkedIn. So how's that working for you? And, and what are you doing instead? And how's your experience around that? Well, I mean, we're marketing more like a small business. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies, they their marketing plan starts with, okay, so on Facebook and Google, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Like yeah. The Facebook and Google is sort of a known quantity, and you're trying to juice as much as possible from that. The, the problem is is that both of those are you know bid-based marketplaces where you're up against everybody else. Yeah. Right? You, you, uh, and the denser the space, the, the higher the CPM, and the lower the marketing results. I mean, everybody is trying to bust through the same yeah. uh, door, and it's just not—it's just not working. And yeah. The 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 spend is uh, only benefits like big VC funded companies who are putting a hundred million dollars towards trying to get some kind of market share, so that then they can do whatever they want with this market that they've captured. You know, yeah. uh, and it's just not the way that we do things. It's just not our interest. Yeah, um, and it's not to say that Basecamp hasn't tried. I mean. Uh, a few generations ago, they tried a bunch of Facebook ads because, um, you know, Facebook wasn't nearly as evil of a company or it wasn't <laughs> apparent. Um, and they just didn't work. I mean, they, yeah. they didn't have the results that, that we were looking for out of um, our spend. They didn't feel good. They're sort of empty calories, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like so that instead, ex- we're doing... I like that. You, you like that? Yeah, I like that expression yeah. about uh, empty calories because it was something I was thinking about as well. And it is just like that, isn't it? It isn't energy for your business. It's just sugar. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if and it's you're, you're buying reach from these companies who only rent it to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're putting all this time into creating this content and the targeting and retargeting and all this stuff, and you don't get to keep it. You know, you're yeah. just renting that spot and they're more than happy to sell it to the next person for an additional, you know, 30 cents a click. Yeah. Uh, and so you're not actually gathering market position. You're just, uh, you know, holding up a banner in, in a very, very loud public square yeah. uh, for a minute. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, and that's another great analogy. I think uh, you're just shouting into the void. And uh, I was chatting to somebody the other day, and we came up to this analogy that it was a bit like, um, you know, divorce lawyers. Uh, the only uh, <laughs> lawyers in a divorce, the only people that are going to win are the are the lawyers. And it's that way when you're competitively doing PPC, isn't it? Is that the people that win are Google or the the big yeah, team. yeah, absolutely. Or or like pay to play marketplaces like Captera, like. Yeah. You know, we've seen that people are spending $35, $40 a click, Yeah, you know, unqualified clicks just to, for what? I, you, yeah. you just will never outrun that. It doesn't matter what kind of software you're selling. You'll never outrun that uh, unless you're in extremely niche, extremely expensive enterprise software. You know, yeah. that then maybe it'll work, but we're certainly not there. That's not us. Yeah. So, so we focus on more tangible stuff that we find enjoyable, things that we want to consume, you know, podcasts and newsletters and yeah. Uh, we just, um, did a print ad in off screen magazine. Uh, you know, the distribution on that is not huge, but the people who do get it really care about the kinds of things that we care about. And that, that matters, you know, you need to go out and find the others. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, print scares the hell out of anybody that's used to, um, PPC and stuff. Cause you can't <laughs> measure it in the same way. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of people who look at print, they think about like buying a full page ad in Time Magazine or they think about like the back cover of the Wall Street Journal, which has a purpose. You know, if you're looking to say something really pivotal and big, you know, those yeah. those are great venues to do so and, and really underpriced right now considering all that's going on. Yeah. Um, but this off screen magazine is a, a, a low volume, you know, large format, sort of very pensive magazine that comes out, I think comes out quarterly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to design the ad and it goes out to... I don't know what their distribution is off the top of my head, but uh, let's say a few thousand people are going to consume and act on that you know, thing. It's just too small for a lot of companies that want these like massive scales. But yeah. um, for us, uh, you know, each customer we get is great. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a long-term relationship that we're hoping to foster. And that happens through, um, you know, communication and education and, and, you know, connection, like true genuine connection. Yeah. Um, we just can't go to the, the you know user store and buy users it just doesn't work that way yeah because and you said just a moment ago that you were approaching it like a small business so small business mm-hmm. in terms of advertising to these small communities so micro influencers what else how else would you uh, describe that that approach that you would recommend to other folks well we're we're a staff of 59 you mm-hmm. know we're a small company uh, we have no sales team i'm the only person in marketing um, right. we do have a marketing designer but he works on the like the, the website and, yeah. you know, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, so like, we don't have a lot of time to mess around with these sort of really unwieldy, uh, pseudo sophisticated tools. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I just, I, there's not enough hours in the day for me to build some big remarketing engine or to engage, yeah. uh, um, you know, Adobe's marketing suite and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. We'd, we'd rather have our, our place dollars, Go. Yeah, I want ninety nine percent of our spend to be in the market. I don't want to, you know, pay a bunch of middle people because we yeah. just don't have the the time or the funds to do so. You know, we yeah. we really want to see like direct action. And so many of these marketing tools are uh, very easily booked. I mean, you you call up the podcast salesperson and they have a very straightforward process. I mean, I think um, our Science Friday podcast ad um, through NPR, like it, it went from concept to on the air in like two weeks and wow. just me and the salesperson you know yeah. like it's not now if you were trying to really juice the last uh five percent out of your marketing budget yeah you're going to need a, a whole floor of people and a team and agencies and all that but 
um, it's just cheaper and easier to not try to grab every single red cent out there. Yeah, no, I love your approach. It's, it's really interesting and it sounds like it's working for you. And I think the important thing there, I guess, for other people that are listening to this is the fact that you've got the support of this, this very sort of um, forward-looking founding team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, it, this really comes from them from the start. I mean, they, they went out and they found people like me and the rest of our team to enact that vision. But yeah. You know, they've stood fast since 2004 on these values and they just keep saying the same things. If you've read the books, uh, you find that it's a lot of the same information um, presented or refined in different ways. Right. Uh, it is, is not a lot of um, new stuff because they, they really kind of found the, the fundamentals of what makes a good Internet business um, back then. I mean, I have I have Getting Real, the, the book yeah. like from a long time ago um, here on my desk somewhere. Yeah. And that that hits a lot of the same stuff that you see pop up in rework and it doesn't have to be crazy work. Yeah. Um, and and it it's true. I mean, I, you know, I, I came on board like, is it really that way? Space <laughs> can't really, really run that way. Are you yeah. sure? Uh, yeah. And it does. Sure does. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. And I, I think that's always been an important thing when you have a, a conversation with marketers is they it kind of reflects on what their environment is like and what, what the management has set up for them. But if we sort of go back a bit to your background, I, I know it's on Twitter and the guys on the podcast can't see your T-shirt like I can, but we would call you a petrol head. And I guess being in Detroit, this helps. What's, um, is that a fair description of you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably like 26 motorcycles deep by now. <laughs> so I used to have a, a, a British motorcycle repair place of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ri- I ride a, a Triumph, so... Um, big fan. Uh, you know, I do race cars like cheap ones. Um, I don't know. I find it really mentally stimulating. Like it's a very complex little machine that we've just gotten used to because you can buy one and hop in it and drive down the street. But, um, it's, it's a, it's an amazingly complex system of, of parts and forces that are in equilibrium, hopefully, (laughs) and especially out on the racetrack. So, um, you know, I would say 80% of my brain is uh, is uh, marketing and this kind of stuff, and 25% of it is race cars. <laughs> <laughs> Splendid. I think it's interesting because our, um, our community or our podcast attracts either people that have had some musical background or, or what I would call petrol heads, so, that, so you're fitting right in. Um, and as part of that, um, you formed a company called the Detroit Bus Company. I thought that was interesting when I was reading about you. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I've never worked as a professional marketer before. It's just not been something that I've, um, you know, called myself or tried to be. Yeah. But about ten years ago, I did start a bus company um, called the Detroit Bus Company, which, um, you know, public transit is really bad here in Detroit. Uh, it just doesn't function, and it's a a function of depopulation. You know, we came from two hundred million people, or uh, two hundred million came from two million people down to um, just under seven hundred thousand. Yeah. Uh, our tax base is eroded. Um, kids can't get to school. Um, it's all pretty bad. So in 2011, I bought a school bus, um, and started providing rides. Uh, we started adding tours and we did weddings and, and basically in an extremely low margin, um, high risk business, a very mm-hmm. volatile business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we managed to find a shred of success. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of that is marketing I and mean, we're taking yeah. a, an old school bus, uh, that is, you know, 90 degrees inside during the summertime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, working with people to, to make them, you know, believe that it is the best solution for their wedding, which we do that through painting them up. We have great drivers. We have good customer service. 
Um, I mean, we give all the things around it that people care about. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a marketing thing. I mean, it, but that, that's, that's sort of marketing when you have an ability to affect the end product, mm -hmm. right? Like a, a a bunch of marketers have to start with a bad product. I've got some <laughs> marketer friends who are trying to sell something that's truly trash, and they have to come up with all of these judo Jedi mind tricks to get yeah. people to buy the thing. Yeah. Um, but when marketing is connected to product and you're able to influence what you're outputting, um, that's that's entrepreneurship and all day. Like yeah. I've never met a single entrepreneur who didn't also have. Uh, a knack for marketing the, yeah the two oh, are inextricably sure. linked yeah for sure yeah. I'll, I'll include a link to um the detroit bus company in the show notes i think it's an interesting story from from what i've read online really interesting Thank you. um final question i have for you um if you're not familiar with the rockstar cmo uh, or maybe the listeners are new to this particular episode we have a feature called the swimming pool right because we're all rock stars and where we chuck all the snake oil and bullshit from our industry what would you chuck into our rockstar cmo swimming pool uh, I would throw retargeting in there. Absolutely. <laughs> Re retargeting needs to die. I mean, like, let, let's say some salesman tries to sell you something, you know, catches yeah. you on the street. Hey, buy this apple. You don't want to. And so the salesman chases you around everywhere you go, <laughs> pops up at your home. I mean, like, you know, you're watching TV, knocks on the door trying to sell you the apple. And I don't want the apple, you know. Um, retargeting, uh, I think sometimes looks like it works because you've got people who were seeking out your product or service. They went on your website, you know, they they're considering buying it. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then later on they see the ad and they think, Oh yeah, yeah. I meant to buy that thing. Cool. I'll buy that. And so you show these great conversion metrics for retargeting. Oh my God. Retargeting works great. Yeah. Uh, but, but dimes of donuts, they probably would have came back and bought that thing anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, um, it's just more internet noise. It drives, uh, you know, CPC numbers up. Uh, and it makes the internet a really creepy, bad place to hang out. <laughs> it, yeah, it just yeah. shows you uh, how often you've got these uh, uh, privacy invading tracking weevils all throughout the internet that just need to go away. <laughs> I've never heard them described as weevils before, but that's great. And I think this, that is a very popular um, topic for the swimming pool. I think we've we've uh, we've thrown various iterations of it in, and, and and nobody has ever described them as weevils. So I think I think that's a perfect addition. So as we as we wrap this up, and I know you are incredibly busy, so thank you for your time. Um, when our listeners spin the dial on the interwebs, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, that Detroit Andy. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty responsive. I think it's it's bordering on addiction now. Um, <laughs> so happy to talk on there whenever. Yeah. Well, I think uh, hopefully you'll get a few new followers from this. It's been a really interesting conversation. Nice to meet you, Andy. And I think nice we're going to feature you in the next issue of uh, Rockstar CMO2 with the backstage and maybe a little bit more detail on what we discussed. So I look cool. forward to Cool. I'm in. Yeah, great. Well, uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for joining us uh, on for Rockstar CMO FM. Cheers. Splendid. Thank you, Andy. I will, of course, share all those links in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com. Just click on the podcast link. Right. It's actually my birthday today. So I'm going to pack things up here and move to the bar where hopefully I'll find my friend Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, it's so good to be here, my friend. Uh, you know, so tonight I am drinking what I'm calling my Dutch martini. Sounds and good. 
It is. It's really simple and easy. Um, I think you're finally going to have the ingredients for this one. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you it mean. Is a, it is a straight up martini uh, using this fancy Dutch uh, tulip gin mm. that I actually got from my friends uh, in Amsterdam. And uh, it's made with, uh, of course, that. And then I've got a garlic stuffed olive with a lemon twist uh, in there. And it's just as straight up and as James Bondy as I can possibly get. Wow, that sounds really good. Well, um, as you say, I'll try and make it. Um, I did actually broaden out my bar this week, I'll have you know. Oh. I have some Hendrix gin. Does that sound about right? It's fine. Yeah, it's not yeah. the Dutch tulip gin, but okay. Yeah, the yeah, gin. Okay. Gin is gin, um, as some people would say. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to put ice in it. Is that okay? Uh, well, okay. uh, all right. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, and um, I think, um, what have I got here? This, this, I think this will be good for a martini. Tonic. What do you reckon? Uh, right. Um, yeah, I suppose you okay. can. You, yeah. Okay, let me give this bad boy a try. What did you say it was called again? It's called the Dutch Martini. Wow, that is good, Robert. That would be really nice on a summer's afternoon. Love that. Yeah. Love that. I would, I would have a number of those. And if we were, Robert, to have a number of those... Uh, where would you where would you suggest you take us this week? Well, you know, I think we have to go where the namesake is, right? I mean, mm. one of my, I there is a place, and mm. you know, just outside of Amsterdam, actually. So Amsterdam would be really fun. There are some amazing fun bars uh, that I miss. I, I get to Amsterdam quite a bit for my work, um, but there is a place that I love uh, just outside of Amsterdam called Zwolle. Uh, and it is a tiny little Dutch village. Then there's an amazing uh, Michelin-starred restaurant in that little village. Um, it's in the. It's built in an old women's prison, and it's just the most amazing. Which is, there's a hotel there too. Just an wow. amazing, wonderful place. It, it it's so cozy, um, and the food is so amazing. I think that's where we should be with this particular cocktail. Yeah, and they have a special word, don't they, for that cozy that uh, I wouldn't even try and pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if we're um, we we have a couple of these uh, together in the, in the evening in Amsterdam and um, sorry in in, Z- in Zwolle, and um, uh, we're wandering back to that hotel that you mentioned. Um, what thought would be in my head before I get back to my hotel room? Well, I hope it's these days around the idea of you know what we. One of the things that I've been seeing a lot of is is sort of this false choice of investment of marketing being either a short term or a long term play. In other words, you know, there's this idea that, you know, when especially when we invest in content that, you know, we're trying for these either short term leads or basically it's a long term branding investment. And I think that's a false choice. I think one of the things that we have to recognize is, is that, you know, certainly content marketing takes time uh, yeah. and it is a long term investment when it really drives value. But having said that, there are short term benefits we can start to realize uh, by making this longer term investment. In other words, it doesn't we don't have to wait three and a half years for it to sort mm-hmm. of finally pay off. Yeah, it will start to pay off in smaller increments yeah. as we go forward. And so, quite frankly, you know, looking at the benefits of the short-term investment of content and some of our other marketing strategies is something we should be thinking about too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
I've actually had a, a client recently uh, because of the current crisis have said no no I'm, I'm not focusing on on that particular project anymore um, I want short term uh, you know we need we need leads now so we're shifting sure. our budget yeah. out of content marketing and there's nothing you can do about it but it's it's it, you know it's not right is it because you do get short-term benefits content marketing it's just that over time it uh, it delivers the it delivers better yeah i mean a year and a half or two years from now they'll be truly yeah. regretting that decision you think well exactly i mean it's, isn't the saying the best time to plant a tree was yesterday um, you know, so is it a tree you're supposed to plant yesterday? Oh, That's know. right. It's the wonderful <laughs> Chinese thing is basically the best the the the, the best time uh, to plant a tree was a hundred years ago, and the second <laughs> best time is today. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I love that thought, and I think it's so relevant to right now. Uh, where people are taking more of a short-term view. So that's splendid. Thank you very much, Robert. And um, just quickly, uh, because uh, I will obviously introduce you uh, before we come down to the bar, um, where can people find you? Oh, well, you're very kind for that. Well, if you're interested in content operations, content strategy, and that sort of thing, uh, hit me up at our website, which is contentadvisory.net. All right, we'll do that. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. I think maybe I'm having too much fun with that section. Let's see how that goes. So there we have it. Another episode of Rockstar CMO FM. Thank you to Andy and Robert and to our Rockstar CMO contributors. And of course, thank you for inserting your virtual quarter into your podcasting jukebox and giving us a listen. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. I would love to know how you think this is going. Please drop us a rating or review or hit us up at Rockstar CMO on Twitter or LinkedIn. And please subscribe so that then you can join us next week on Rockstar CMO FM. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and as sane as you feel is appropriate. Cheers. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.